Good to be with you this morning, friends. Glad to be hearing God's Word with you. If you'd like to follow along this morning, you can certainly do so. Pull out your own Bibles or find this section, Luke chapter 12 and page 846 and following in these white and blue Bibles here. God is with you. That's what we heard this morning. How many of you budget? How many of you budget? Maybe you don't have to raise your hands, but you know you can just kind of be like, yes, yes, or no, no. I know that some people, when you get past the point where, you know, your kids move out of the house especially, uh, it's maybe tempting or it's already pretty preset that these are what your expenses are in life and you don't really have to worry about it anymore. Uh, so I don't know how many of you budget. That's my, that's my budget. Do you see that, that red up there in the top? That's a bad sign. Okay. How many of you have your retirement plan? You don't have to raise your hands again. Got a retirement plan? Maybe sort of-ish? Yeah. <laughs> here's, my, here's my retirement plan. Wait, go to the next one. Retirement plan. Yeah, maybe. Go to the next. There you go. My retirement plan. That's what, that's what they keep telling me, 90 years. I've got 90 years to go. So I don't know if I'll ever get there. I, I, that always breaks my heart every time I see my retirement plan. And, and if you're under the impression that, uh, you know, Synod gives us this fabulous pension or something like that that covers us, uh, that, is, that is not the case. It's, it's you and me. We got to together figure out my retirement plan. So, yeah, I'm kind of on my own there. And, and uh, how many of you have your will and or your trust taken care of? Got those things mostly, mostly done? Yes? All right, good. If you don't have those things done, by the way, as a side point, you know, we work with, we partner with a really uh, good... I don't know how you want to call it, denomination, associated or affiliated organization, and they will help you do that entire process. Uh, so if not only just you, but if anybody you know, you know, needs to work in a Christian context on their will, their trust, end-of-life planning, advanced directives, all of those kinds of things, uh, we got a, a great person who will help you prep all the paperwork, and then we can get it off to a lawyer so it'll get personalized at a very low and affordable cost. It's actually a really great thing. I just did it with a, a, a young family, helped them out so that they have a will and everything taken care of for kids. Uh, so all of those things. Now, that being said, does that mean that you're worried? If you have a budget, is that because you're worried? If you have a retirement plan, is that because you're worried? I mean, if, if you weren't worried, you wouldn't plan for retirement, right? You'd just wing it and see how it came out. Would you? If, if you have a will and the end of life and the trust and all that stuff, does that mean that you're worried? Or is it perhaps the other way? Do we have a budget because we're not worried? And do we have a retirement plan so that we're not worried? And do we have a will and an end of life and all of those things so that we're not worried? We don't like to talk about being worried, do we? Nobody ever calls me and says, Pastor, I think I need some help, I need some encouragement, some counseling. I'm really worried about life. It's just not okay to admit we're worried, is it? Nobody ever does it. Nobody ever says, I need help because I'm really worried. I mean, we, we even write songs, don't we? Don't worry. Be happy. It's, it's not okay to admit you're worried, is it? And, and I've, I've met with people before and I say to them, 
what are you worried about in life right now? And they're, oh, I'm not worried about anything. They're like worried about not being worried. And you would think, listening to Jesus this morning, you might think right away, well, it's, it's like wrong to be worried. But if you listen to Jesus, what he says, good thinkers, including Jesus, will all show us that it's actually a less helpful tool in life to ignore worries. That is to say, the more that we try to say we're not worried, the more worried we'll be. And, and so that's really what we want to do today. That's really what we want to get at today, is just to deal with our worry. You know, if, if, I, if the kids run out of the house in the morning and they're all out playing, and then it's time for me to say, hey, it's, it's time for lunch or something like that, and almost all of the kids come in except for one, and I stand there at the door and I start shouting, hey, kid, kid, Fred, Fred, come home, and Fred doesn't come home, and, and then I start getting panicked because Fred's not coming home, and then I start tearing all over the house, and I'm running all over the property trying to find Fred, and then Fred shows up at the door just as happy as day as if nothing is wrong, it's so much more helpful if I just say, oh, Fred, I'm so glad to see you. I was worried. Than if I scream at Fred and say, Fred, where were you? I was so worried. That does not help at all. But if I can just say I was so worried, that helps. And that's what Jesus wants us to see this morning. So the first thing he says to us is he points out to us that we really do worry. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. You know, he turns to his disciples here and he says these things. Don't worry about your life. The irony of it is that his disciples are, are your average people. They're working class people. They're not people with money. They're not people who are going to be working or living, you know, moving in the upper echelons of society. They don't care what kind of champagne they drink. They don't drink champagne, right? They're not those kind of people. And, and yet, despite, you might think, those are the people that don't need to hear about these spiritual things of worry, right? We just put down our nose to the grindstone and, and we get life done. And yet, despite all of that, Jesus, in the next 12 verses, gives some of the, the clearest and the strongest instruction on worry. And, and that's, that's because, you know, when you're a person without money, you can really easily see how the people with money spend a lot of their life worrying about money, can't you? Right? You can see how it corrupts you, how it destroys you, how it controls you. I was, I was struck by that, I remember, when we were in China there was a woman that we were working with a little bit. She was really hard to get a hold of and, and hard to spend time with, and that's because all she really cared about in life was getting ahead. And she made a bunch of risky investments in real estate and real estate development. Uh, and I remember it was about 2012. All of that stuff in China, in her area, crashed. She had a goal to be the, the, one of the top people, top players in her area, I, that was the first time I got to drive a Mercedes-Benz. It all crashed. She lost all of it. And she was heartbroken. And I, it was easy for me to see money destroys. Money corrupts. Not just because 
it, she lost everything, but because of how much it ruined her, how much it hurt her, right? It was, it was easy to see that. But Jesus here goes on and he, he shows you and me, he wants us to see something that just because you don't have money means you're free from it, right? Just because you don't have money, you're not free from it. Whether you have a lot or you have a little, he shows us that money has that power over us. Money has that anxiety, controlling anger over us. It's just so easy when you don't have it to look at people who do and to think, ah, they, they are worried, but I'm not. But he shows us here, everybody is. Everybody is. He puts it in verse 29. It's one of the best ways for us to see what worry really is. What does he say there, verse 29? Do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Don't set your heart on it. Now, that's not a very specific or a very clear phrase. I don't know if, if you can see good meaning in that. Set your heart on something. But maybe uh, another way to picture this, another way to, to put this, is to pursue it. That's what the word literally means. To pursue it. Or to seek and to really investigate with the goal of arriving at your, your end destination. To chase after something. He says, don't pursue and chase after these things. You might think, well, wait a second. Why shouldn't I investigate and then chase after or pursue how to get money? Maybe this, this example helps. Think about how a dog and a hawk both chase after the rabbit. You ever, you ever watch a dog and a, and a hawk chase a rabbit? Who would you rather be chasing the rabbit, the dog or the hawk? The dog, he's going to work really hard to chase that rabbit, isn't he? He is going to run everywhere after that rabbit. The rabbit tears this way and he tears that way. And, and the rabbit circles around the garden in your backyard and, and the dog is ripping after him in the garden. And then the, the rabbit chases towards the corner where he knows there's a hole in the fence and he can sneak out. And the dog, does he slow down for the fence at all? No way, he's going headlong into that fence, isn't he? He's going to try to catch that rabbit right into the last moment. I remember watching a lot of, a lot of rabbits play that game in my backyard. But then you watch the hawk, and how does the hawk chase the rabbit? The hawk doesn't chase the rabbit, does he? He just soars over the top. And when the time is right, whoom, dives, and that rabbit is done for. And you might think, well, wait a second, that game is rigged from the start. I mean... How could the dog possibly chase the rabbit in just the same way the hawk does? But the dog knows where the rabbit's going to leave the backyard, doesn't he? The dog knows exactly where that rabbit's going. He could be smart about it, but he doesn't. He just chases it and follows it on all of those angles and those cuts and those switches and those jumps. Why? Because he's committed to pursuing it, to seeking it. See, that's what Jesus wants to say to you and me. Everybody, everybody has to think about money and food and life and health sometimes. The question isn't do we, the question is how do we think about it? How do we think about it? And worry, worry is when you and I, and I want to make sure we get it, I get this right, right? Worry is when you and I get into that chain of negative thoughts about bad things that might happen in the future about bad things that might happen in the future. 
Are you constantly seeking how to get ahead? Right? Searching and seeking for ways to get something else? Do you, do you obsess about it? Are you constantly working, striving? Are you thinking to yourself, what if this and what if that and what about this and what about that? Those are signs of, of worry. Like that rabbit or like that dog, do you become blind? Do you, just, do you just miss the signs for everything else? If so, those might be signs that you and I were giving into worry, that we're obsessed with, with worry. You know, and whether you have a lot or you have a little, I remember thinking how worried, noticing how worried somebody was and how much it, it really affected her life. Because one time I had somebody ask me just, for a ride. Just wanted a, a ride down to the to the shelter. And I said, okay, yeah, you know, that's that's fine, no problem. Sad part was is the woman had just lost her job and now she was losing her, her house. But it had just happened. It had just happened. And because she was so worried about all of these things in her life, the loss of the job, the loss of the house, the only thing she could focus on was was getting to the shelter. She forgot to eat. And so I said to her, you know, have you, have you eaten? No, we haven't eaten. Okay, so we went, and got, we went and got food, and she didn't think about saying thank you or any other polite things to say to a person. She, she left her, her luggage in, in the car, and then when we brought her luggage inside into the shelter, she left her luggage sitting there in the rack outside in the shelter. You know, she was so obsessed, right, so focused, she couldn't see anything else. It was all that she was striving for. And whether or not you and I have a lot or we have a little, you and I can worry. So friends, let's admit this, right? Let's work on this. Let's get out of our worry. And that's what Jesus really wants to help you and I with this morning. That's what's really excellent about this section because you read this and he doesn't just scold us and say, stop worrying. He goes on and he says, for the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. Now, if you, if you read this with me, at first maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? He says at first, the pagan world runs after such things. Okay, that part makes sense. Right? It sounds like he's talking about the, the dog chasing after the, after the rabbit again, doesn't he? And, and maybe, maybe that part you and I say, yeah. Right? I've seen people, hey, run after all of this stuff. Maybe especially as you, we felt this inflation, you really feel it, huh? Have you found yourself saying, man, what if gas price keeps going up? What am I going to do about this? What about that? What if this? And what if that? Is it, is it an obsessive question for you? Maybe you see that, that in yourself. That would be worry. So that's that part. But look what Jesus says then. He says, your father knows you need them. Isn't that an odd line? Why doesn't he come back and say, your father will give you whatever you need? Why doesn't he say, your father's going to take care of all of your problems? Or don't worry, your father will make everything okay. He doesn't say that, does he? He just says, your father knows you need them. What's he trying to say to us? I think Jesus, if you think about this, Jesus is pointing out something really important to you and I, that what really defeats worry is not something that will fix all the problems, 
but someone. What gets glory is not what you have, but who you have. There's that old story about the man who rode in an airplane, a little two-seater kind of Cessna plane. plane took off. The pilot was flying just fine. He got into some cloud cover, and he passed out. Who knows, maybe the oxygen was too, was too low that day. Maybe he had a panic attack. Nobody's quite sure. But he got into that cloud cover, and he passed out. And, and the guy was sitting there next to him in the plane, and he was panicking. He was worried. He had never flown a plane before. He couldn't see a thing. He had no idea where to go. He picked up the radio and he just started shouting, Hello! Hello! Anybody out there? Can anybody help us? Hello! And, and finally a plane shouted back, Hey, hey, we're here. And, you know, call signs and all of that. Don't you know how to do, use radio etiquette? No, I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing here. I've never done this before. And the plane said, Okay, I'm going to give you to the uh, emergency control tower and they'll help you into the ground. And then the radio control operator got on the, the radio and he said to him, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk you home. I know you can't see anything. I know you have no idea where you're going. I know you have no idea if you're going to get through. I know you don't know how to read your instruments and use all of these dials. If you will obey my voice, if you'll just listen to my voice, I'll get you through. And isn't that what God is saying to us? He's saying, yeah, you know what? I don't have to fix all of your worry, all of those problems right away. Just listen to my voice and I will get you through. I will take you through this. And he goes on then to say this. He points out that in the end, what really happens is that your father knows you need all of these things. He says, your father is the one who is going to give you all of those things. We don't just know that we need a God we need a father. Look at it in verses 30 and 32. He's pointing out there, hey, you're forgetting that you have a father. And he wants us to see a couple of things. First, he wants us to see our need for a father. Our need for a father. The Apostle Paul puts it in another, another way in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3, he says to us, we are going to bow our knee before whom all fatherhood is derived. All fatherhood, all idea of being a father. What's that mean? It's a little weird, but what he's pointing out to us is that every father, every mother, every parent is just a picture. We're just an image. We're a, you know, an archetype, right, of the true eternal father. And if you've worked through that moment in your life where you realized that your father wasn't perfect, you know what this is. Remember that moment when you realized that your father couldn't fix all of your problems? My father never tried to be the hero of my life and like fix everything for me, but even I, I remember those moments where I looked at my dad and I said, really dad? Like that's the best you got for me? And, and it was those moments, right, where I started to say, I need a true father. I need the perfect father. I need the father who's going to always be there. Right? That's the first thing that we need to know to deal with our worry. The first piece of divine adoption, biblical adoption, is that he, we need a true and eternal Father. The second thing is we need to see that our inheritance has been given. He goes on to say, your Father has given you the kingdom. He's given you the kingdom. Right? To be a Christian means that we have the right to be sons. 
and we've received all of these things. You think, what does that do to all of our work in life? What does it do to our work in life, our striving and our struggling and our fighting to realize that he has given us the kingdom? Have you ever imagined, ever just sat around and imagined that you grew up in the house of a billionaire? Have you ever just dreamed what it would like to be a, a billionaire from the day you were born? You know, you, you, didn't, you didn't have to go to Michigan Adventures for vacation. You went to the Hamptons. And, and, and you didn't have to have, you know, cheap two-buck chuck on a Friday night because you had 50 bazillion bottles of sh- the best champagne. Right? That was just your life from the day you were born. Think about what that would do to all of your work. Because you're still expected to work from day one. From day one, the plan is that you are going to inherit the company. And, and so maybe you do start out down in the mail room in the basement and you're sorting out the mail. And, and at age of 25, you're some kind of a, an editor for the, the paper that you produce or some kind of a reporter on the job. By, by 30, you're a middle manager. By 40, you're a, a, a vice president. Have you at all contributed millions and millions of dollars into the business? Absolutely not. Right? But by the late 40s, early 50s, you get the keys to the kingdom. And, and your father, the big chief, the big boss, he says to you, I give you this whole thing. Now, is your work, is your striving, is it worth anything at that point? I mean, maybe you added $100,000. Maybe you added a half a million dollars to the bottom line. But what's a half a million dollars compared to billions? And this is what God has said to you and me, hasn't he? He said, I've given you the kingdom. Yeah, I expect you to work. But who cares how much you get done in your life? Right? Yeah, you went to work in the widget factory and you made your widgets every day. You planted your crop. What does that matter? What does that matter when I've opened up heaven and poured out the grain? What does that matter when I have opened up the heavens and filled this land with riches beyond measure? What does it matter what you've done when I've done so much? Right? That's the biblical truth of adoption to sonship and our inheritance. When you and I become those sons, we inherit so much more than we could ever imagine. And the third piece of having God, knowing that God is our Father, is that we know His incredible love for us. His love that is beyond all measure. Did you see what He said here at the end of this section? He says, Do not be afraid, little flock. Did you catch that? Don't be afraid, little flock. Verse 32. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? Little flock. Little flock, you look around and you're like, Yeah, I don't mind being part of a a little flock. The thing is, is usually in the Bible, when Jesus calls us the flock, he is not saying good things about us. He's not saying cute things about us. One of the most prominent examples is on the night he's betrayed. He says, the shepherd will get struck and the flock, the sheep, the flock, will get scattered. That's not a good thing. Isn't that an irony? Jesus gets arrested. Jesus gets put on trial. Jesus gets put on the cross. And what do we do? We're the ones that are running helter-skelter. We're the ones that are panicked. 
We're the ones that are worried, aren't we? But he's the one who got hit. That's because on that night, in the greatest act of love, he gave up his place as a son so that we would never have to be worried about our place as a son. Ever notice that when Jesus talks to his Father all throughout his life, he always prays, Father, our Father in heaven, Father, take this cup from me. But there's one time in his life where he doesn't pray to his Father, and it's on that cross. On that cross, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because in that moment, he has given up the eternal love of his Father so that you and I, in all of our panic, in all of our worry, would never lose his love. He gave up that love so we would never be unloved. And friends, that's what works out our worry. To see our need for a father, to see our adoption as sonship has given us an inheritance from that father, and to see his incredible love. What works out our worry? To watch your father. I think some of you know that I enjoy swimming and one of the things I do every now and then is I'll go and swim at Rupert Lake. Anybody ever go and swim at Rupert Lake? I know some of you fish Rupert Lake, but I think a lot of you would say, Rupert Lake's not really for swimming, right? It's not a swimming lake. But I, I swim in Rupert Lake every now and then, and I remember the first couple times I looked out at Rupert Lake and I thought, oh my goodness, are there things in here that's going to eat me? <laughs> you know, you look at there and you stand on the shore. And, and of course, it was like the second time I was there, there was somebody standing over there on the shore. They, had, they were fishing and they said, I just saw a snake. I said, ah! But I swam anyway. And, and here's why, why I swam. Because as soon as I started swimming, I had this flashback. When my, when my father was uh, 10, when I, when I was about 10, 12, my father was, you know, 40, something like that. For some reason, my, my grandparents had a cottage on a lake. And for some reason, he and his brothers decided it was a good idea to have a competition and to see basically, you know, who was the manliest brother. So they did all these ridiculous things for this competition, you know, chopping wood and all this kind of stuff. Well, one of the competitions was you had to swim across the lake. And it was a big lake. It was bigger than Rupert Lake. And so I remember my father swimming across the lake. And I said, well, heck, if he did it, I can certainly do it. Uh, and so what did I do? I swam across the lake. I, I watched my father in my mind. I, I was picturing him and watching him. And you think, how much more can't you and I stop worrying about the things of our lives if we keep a watch on our eternal father? If we watch the one who gave up his inheritance so that we could have an eternal inheritance, if we watch the one who gave up eternal love so we could have everlasting love, won't that work out our worry? What else could work out our worry in this life? But to watch your Father. Let's pray that we would keep our eyes on Him. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You gave up Your place as a son for a short time so that each of us could have a place with our Father. He's adopted us. He's chosen us as, our, as His very own so that we would never have to worry about our inheritance about our riches in this life, and about our secure place in His love. Lord, we often act as if we're orphans, as if we've been abandoned in this world. And we worry, we think about things needlessly and ceaselessly, and we pray that you would take away that worry and let us rest in your goodness to us. We pray for this in Jesus' name.
Amen.